This is Oklahoma football. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Mainline Podcast on this cold and drizzly uh, Thursday, April 22nd in Northern Oklahoma. Uh, we've got the full, full cast of characters here. Welcome back, Corbin uh, and Adam. What's going on, buddy? How are you guys doing? Doing well. Ready for some football this Saturday. Yeah, as much as, you know, it'll be, I'm sure, incredibly exciting and nail-biter down to the wire. Uh, yeah, a little football never hurts anybody. How was the uh, time away with the family last week, Corbin? Obviously, couldn't join us last week. Kind of threw a uh, kind of threw a kink in everything last week. The timing and everything, not having you on there, but we'll we'll allow it. So, was it at least worth it having the family in town? It was. I mean, uh, you know, just came here on vacation. Had my my parents, my stepsister, my uncle all came up, and uh, the weather didn't cooperate for us a whole lot. We were hoping to get some hikes in, but that just wasn't going to happen. Um, but uh, Sunday, it was nice. Got to enjoy a Rockies game, get some sun before it started snowing again here. So, yeah, it was nice to unplug for a bit and enjoy some time with family. Adam, elaborate, man. How's how's life going? What's what's been what's been new with you up in Oklahoma City back for, I guess, what, about a little over a month now? Two months coming up on two. Yeah. Two months. Uh, dude. Nothing new, really. <laughs> um, not taking time away from the podcast microphone like others uh, that are on this. So. I'm really dedicated, you know, making sure that uh, this is this is priority one. Well, we've got an earlier night for what it's worth. I want that on the record. Don't cut that, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got we've got a lot to get to tonight. A lot of things going on here in Norman, a lot of spring sports, a lot of things happening with the transfer portal with men's basketball. Porter Mosier uh, has, you know, hit the ground running and the the past week or so has been able to land some pretty really, really good guys. Um, Guys, I think this time a week ago or maybe even two weeks ago, we were kind of starting to maybe not quite piss the, or press the panic button yet, but obviously, you know, only having five, six guys on the roster, scholarship players, there was a lot of uh, a lot of room there, a lot of roster spots. And Corbin, just starting with you, man, talking about Porter Mosier. I mean, uh, what he's done over the past three, four weeks, continuing to fill up that roster with some really, really good talent. Um, I think it's got a good reason for OU fans to be excited about basketball going into next year. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agreed whenever the hire was made, Porter was coming into a, a tough situation, uh, to say the least. And to see what he's done over the past couple weeks in the transfer portal has been promising. Um, I don't think these names are necessarily going to come in and change the OU basketball program. But for those maybe who you know haven't kept up to date, so uh, what, uh, probably about a week and a half ago now, we had the, the Groves brothers from Eastern Washington transfer uh, make that official announcement. So they're going to be in, uh, if you remember correctly, I think the older brother, bigger guy, had like 35 points against Kansas-ish, somewhere in that range uh, in the NCAA tournament. So uh, Player of the year. Yeah, so excited about that. Uh, then you had Jordan Goldwire from Duke, who I didn't even know was in the transfer portal. Um, so that was, a, I think, a huge pickup on the, the defensive side of things. Um, he's not going to be a guy who I think averages double-digit points or anything like that. Maybe in this offense he can. But you think you, you combine – the backcourt with with him and Elijah Harkless, that's that's some great defense uh, that is going to be played on on that side of the ball um, with those two guards. And then as of today, uh, Ethan Chargoy, I think is how you pronounce his name. Maybe Chargoy's. I'm not really sure. Uh, big guy, 6'9 from SMU. I don't really know a whole lot about him, but averages about nine points a game. So, uh, you know, 
really curious to see what happens with this last scholarship uh, that they have available. Um, there are tons of options out there. Uh, the first and foremost, I think, is Damon Har- Damian Harmon. Uh, you know, but I guys, I just I think that ship has sailed. I- I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too, but I think that's passed. But then I think you, I think there's really three guys you got to focus on moving forward. Um, one is Bryce Thompson, five-star kid out of Tulsa, originally committed to Kansas, played there last year. I think had a decent year, but um, he is he's in the transfer portal. I think Tulsa was the uh, initial landing spot that I heard a lot of smoke on. Um, but I think Coach Mosier has, has, has made some inroads there, so that's really curious. Trey Alexander, um, a four-star kid, I believe, out of Heritage Hall, originally committed to Auburn. Uh, he is decommitted from Auburn, so it'll be interesting to see if we can get in the door there. And then Jackson Robinson, honestly, a kid who I don't know much about, but a four-star kid out of Ada in the 2020 class, uh, the number 61 overall player, according to rivals back in that class, uh, transferring out of Texas A&M, which is always a good thing. Um, but, you know, so I think one of those three guys is probably going to fill that last scholarship spot. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces, but those are three pretty big time guys that I think all, all that, um, the Sooners, you know, have a shot with. Yeah. I would go after one of those three guys, uh, as opposed to bringing Harmon back. Um, he seems, you know, to have his sights set on something bigger than OU. And I feel like that, that ship has sailed. Uh, it is interesting just seeing all these different names come up as, as possibilities to really come home to OU because they played their high school ball in the state of Oklahoma. All three of these guys were, were four-star or better players, and none of them went to OU or OSU out of high school. That's a little concerning. We'll see if that can uh, be stopped in the future with Porter Moser uh, and Mike Boyden up the road in Stillwater, you know, probably kicking up their efforts in recruiting. So, uh, would love to have those guys from the start rather than have them take a uh, indirect route back to uh, to one of the state schools. Yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you guys. And again, with when it comes to that last scholarship spot, I mean, really, it's it kind of seems like it's a first come first serve type thing. I mean, I really don't think that we're in a position right now to where we can afford to kind of wait and see what Devion Harmon decides to do and just wait and hope that he chooses to come back to Oklahoma. Obviously, when you've got um, all those talented players that are available, especially with a guy like Bryce Thompson, a local kid, transfer from Kansas. If he decides he wants to make the decision to come down to play Norman, you take him immediately. Um, you know, love you, Davion Harmon, what you did for the basketball pro- program for two years. But, um, you know, it's first come, first serve. And then, guys, t- when we talked about what Porter, when Porter Moser came on board and obviously the days leading after Lon's retirement, we saw the guys enter the transfer portal. And one of the big concerns was, what's OU going to do down low? not having anybody, uh, you know, that traditional center, not having anybody that can play the post position, bam, both those cr- uh, boxes are crossed. Tanner Grove, six foot nine. Ethan Chargoy, six foot seven. So you've got the big men that you needed down low going into next season. And like you said, Jordan Goldwater, a guy that I'm right on board with you, Corbin. I had no idea who he was. Honestly, I didn't know, didn't even know he was in the portal until I saw his commitment graphic um, coming from Duke. And if he's good enough to play for Coach K at Duke, I think he'll be a nice addition to what Oklahoma wants to do here in Norman. So, uh, but no, I, I think that uh, Porter Mosier, it's going to be very fun to watch and see what becomes of that last scholarship spot, who he decides to take to, to kind of round out, um, I guess you could say, quote unquote, his class going into the 2021 season. But guys, um, there's been some, go ahead, Adam. Well, well yeah, with, I, I'm curious, are we undervaluing Jacob Groves right now? Because all the focus is on his older brother, Tanner, who had 35 against Kansas, but Jacob himself had 23 against Kansas. 
Um, and he, I don't know exactly where he's going to play. He's a little bit lighter. He's only 6'7", 185. But we're potentially also getting him for multiple seasons rather than just one. Um, so he can be a guy that can really help the program uh, throughout the first couple of years of Porter Moser. And no one's really talking about him. I think it's hard to – I mean, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of Eastern Washington basketball guys, so I'll just be real honest. Um, but I'm always skeptical of a, of a small school – player coming in and playing in a conference like the big 12 is, which I think is the best conference in college basketball from top to bottom. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, mean, I think that's the only logical answer at this point is we'll see. I would love for them both to come in and contribute. I think I've got question marks about both of them and, and can they compete at this level, you know, the same way they did at the level they were. Um, there's only one way to find out and that's getting them out on the floor and getting them accustomed to things. But um, there's no doubt guys, we're going to, we're still going to be small. I know that we got some bigs, you know, that have transferred in, but the biggest one, six, nine, um, you know, so this is going to be small ball, which hopefully means, you know, an aggressive defense and uh, you know, a pretty fun offense to watch, but I, I really don't know about the Groves brothers. Um, I don't want to put too much stock into the fact that they, you know, put up big points against Kansas when I'm pretty sure that game, Kansas had their, their big guy out anyway. Um, you know, so I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I think they're nice pickups, but there's only, you know, time will tell, how nice these transfers are, uh, you know, coming up in the next six months or so. Well, I and think I, the reason <clears throat> Go ahead, I, I've thought, I've thought the same thing uh, in regards to, you know, going from a smaller conference to the big 12, but uh, looking at what Porter Moser was able to accomplish with Cameron Crutwig, who is not necessarily the best athlete. He's um, he's only six, nine as well. He's a little beefier than, than Tanner Groves, but that gives me a little bit of confidence uh, that, you know, he can put his guys in a position to be successful, even against bigger, uh, you know, bigger guys out there, bigger competition. Well, I think one of the reasons why Jacob Groves, his name kind of flew under the radar in terms of the excitement level was kind of like what I talked about, how whenever you lose so many key players, you know, at the four and five position, everybody was so hungry to get a, I don't know if dominance the right word, but get a key contributor that can play, uh, play that five position. And so when, you know, you get a guy like Tanner Groves, Mountain Valley Conference Player of the Year. We all know about the performance he had March Madness against Kansas. Sure, that's kind of a one-off, but you know you can see the talents there. You can watch the film on both of those guys. Obviously, they're going to be taking a step up in competition coming to the Big 12, but I think that those are going to be two really, really solid pieces uh, that Porter Moser is going to have some fun uh, you know, playing, you know, setting his lineup and, and playing basketball going into next year. And guys, we've, we've had some, uh, I guess, really before we kind of dive into the spring sports, the big story that's been going on, here in Norman over the last week has been the news of the uh, the kind of the incident that happened a week ago um, in the at the Crimson Park Apartments. Obviously, two OU football players finally came out that it is Trajan Bridges and Seth, Seth McGowan, the two players in question um, and suspects in what is being ruled as like an armed robbery type case. So, guys, without kind of diving too much into it, because like we said, it, this is probably it, it's not it's kind of crazy that there's so much attention around this when there's really not too many detail, like concrete facts out there. Like there's no charges that have been brought. No arrests have been made. It's really all kind of secondhand information that guys like Kerry Murdoch at Sooner Scoop has done a really good job of acquiring, like through the police database and different things like that. But guys really, do, do you have any thoughts on it? Do we kind of just want to let it play out and see, or just kind of what were your early impressions now that we're a week away from that incident taking place? Yeah, I mean, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Uh, I mean, that's as simple as it, it can get. Put yourself in bad positions where bad things happen, and it's just it never works out well. So 
unfortunately, you know, who knows if we'll ever know exactly what happened that night. Um, but what I think I walked away from was uh, Trajan and Seth were very familiar with this guy. Um, and it doesn't sound like he was a great guy to know if I had to guess. Um, and they supposedly made some actions that I guarantee they wish they could take back, but, um, we'll see what happens. I think I, I do think more stuff is going to come out, maybe not necessarily about Trajan and Seth, but about the situation in general. Um, but I would be stunned if we see those two individuals in an OU uniform ever again. I'm kind of just waiting for that news dump at like 4.30 on Friday. I don't know if this is the weekend to do it with the spring game being on Saturday, but just waiting around for that to to come to light that neither is on the team anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley has already made up his mind as far as what he wants to do. I'm sure that, you know, he he knows more about the situation than anybody in in this case. So it might be safe to say that he's got his mind made up as far as what he wants to do. Um, and we're just waiting until, you know, we're, we're past the spring game and the spotlight is, you know, not on the program this weekend, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as, you know, different facts and everything is continue to, to kind of get shot, sh- shown a light on it. But guys, I, I guess really the last thing that I want to say about it is obviously we don't know, we don't know concrete evidence as far as what happened that hasn't been brought to light yet. But the fact that you've got, you've got two key contributors or just, I guess you could even say, push all that to the side. You've got two football players doing what thousands and thousands of kids would dream and kill for the opportunity to do. You're playing football in full scholarship of all places. You're at the University of Oklahoma, and you push yourself in a position like that to where ultimately that one bad decision in the blink of an eye, it's going to, you know, if what we think happened actually did happen, uh, it's going to change both those guys' lives in dramatic fashion, and it'll it'll never be the same. But, uh, again, we'll touch on that more as more facts kind of, you know, surface in, in that particular case. But, Adam, starting with you, man, baseball. What's uh, what's going on with Skip Johnson's crew? Anything good? Not really. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't want to talk a whole lot about baseball. Uh, it took the L in the series against Kansas State this past weekend. Um, had a non-conference game against Texas Tech get uh, get rained out uh, in the midweek and then facing Georgia Southern in a non-conference series this weekend. There's really no hope of postseason uh, play at this point. And uh, probably your best player, Tyler Hardman, who's doing incredible things from a national perspective, he'll be draft eligible. Uh, so I'm not sure he'll be around next year. So I don't know. I don't want to think about next year either. Uh, so well, not a whole lot to say there about baseball. Well, Adam, as a, as a follow-up to you, obviously, you know, in our time working at the ticket office, baseball was kind of your baby when it came to like outside of football and, and basketball. That was kind of your, that was your sport that you were kind of, you know, closest to out of the rest of us. So when you look and see what Skip Johnson's done over the last three, four seasons, I mean, kind of what are your feelings about like the direction of this baseball program? Do they get a pass? Obviously we're going through, a, you know, COVID the past year or, are they moving in the right direction or just kind of what, what do you, what do you think? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because last year the season was cut short. And I think, I think administration and fans are aware of that and are at least saying, Hey, that was probably an Omaha level team. And so, you know, when you take that into consideration, when we, you know, look at the full scope of what Skip has done here in Norman, um, it's a little frustrating that it hasn't come together a little bit better this year or in the years previous to last year. Um, but I, I don't think he's on the hot seat or anything at this point, but um, we'll have to see if he can kind of rectify the situation on the mound, which, you know, is his area of expertise. So we need to have some better pitching 
Um, so that'll be a major area to look at, uh, especially going into next year. Cause this year it, there's no chance this year. Well, Skip Johnson is definitely not on the hot seat, but over at Marita Hines, there might be a head coach that is on the hot seat. She uh, lost a game this earlier this week against Georgia. I mean, you went 40 in a row and you lost one finally. So uh, what's going on with OU softball, Corbin? What the hell? I mean, it's just a travesty. Uh, the program is in shambles. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea where they're going to go from here. Uh, no, I mean, God forbid they, they lose a the game, right? Uh, they needed I to. That, I, I agree. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that as well. But, you know, they lost to Georgia in Athens, 7-6, and I think I think 10 innings, I think. That's what it ended up being. Um, they just didn't play well. I think the the pitching lost that game, if you want me to be totally honest, um, you know, watching it like like I did. Um, but, you know, to, to round out the season, they, they have a home series uh, against Tech this weekend. I'm sure they'll be just fine against the Red Raiders and Norman. But then, guys, to, to finish up the year, uh, midweek series or midweek game against Wichita State, who's 32 and six on the year, not ranked, but good record there. And then the in the uh, regular season in Stillwater against the Pokes, who are number 11, uh, I believe, right now, uh, 36 and five on the year. So uh, they're going to be tested down the stretch, I think. But you know, yeah, wanted to, to gather your thoughts on the loss. Is it bad? I mean, it's never great to lose, but like, was this timing good? I, I don't mind the loss. It wasn't in conference play. It was on the road. It was against a ranked team. I can deal with that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on how does this work for a team that was so hot, didn't really seem to, to be dying of hunger or anything like that. Like, where's the loss sit with both of you? I would say, you know, I guess it's good that they don't have the pressure and they won't have the pressure going into any type of postseason situation to keep, you know, a perfect record. So that pressure is long gone. And I thought they were still, you know, fairly loose even in the, the loss there, but it was great to see them absolutely come back in the doubleheader on the second game and just demolish Georgia with the run rule. So um, they turned it back on and, uh, and looked a lot better. I'm not, I don't think there's any reason for concern at all. We knew going into last weekend, starting with the Friday, Saturday, Sunday series against Texas, that was finally going to be the weekend where we saw Patty Gasso's team get a true test. And what do they do? They run rule in three straight games, score outscore them thirty to three over three over Friday, Saturday, Sunday in dominant fashion, and then <clears throat> you've it's kind of a quick turnaround. They fly out to Georgia on on Monday, don't really have any any good time to rest. Tough loss. I mean, you obviously you never want to lose a game, but hey, it's one game. If you are going to lose one, I'm happy that it happened right now instead of at the Women's College World Series or in a super regional type setting. And Adam, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest takeaway that I had from it was, I mean, yeah, it's it sucks that they lost the game, broke the streak, but it was even what was more significant to me was how they bounced back from it. I mean, run ruling them immediately after in the next game, playing really good softball. Um, I think that even though it is tough to to lose a game, obviously you never want to lose to anybody, especially an SEC team. But I think that as good of a coach as Patty is, I think she'll be able to use that moving forward, be able to coach him up now, now that you guys know what this feels like. You can be beaten by anybody on any day at any time. So I think that while it is a bad loss, I think that this pro this program they're they're, they're not going to miss a beat. They're still going to head into the postseason on fire, and uh, this will be a fun team to watch come when it's College World Series time. Knock on wood. So, um, and then guys, kind of to round out the other spring sports, obviously men's and women's gymnastics had a chance this past weekend. Uh, both were competing to win another national championship, and then kind of like what we've. What's been kind of tough, but uh, both men's and women's gymnastics, uh, KJ Kindler and Mark Williams teams, they came up a little bit short. Fantastic years, great performances individually and all around with both programs. So 
Uh, congratulations to both of those teams on fantastic seasons, and we look forward to seeing what they're going to do uh, next year. And, guys, before we get to our interview here, I know that you guys both kind of had a chance to listen to it. Um, we've got A.J. Minner, uh, an interview with him, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, kid that I grew up with. Um, since I was about five or six years old, played travel ball with him growing up, went to high school. He ultimately uh, went on to have a uh, pretty good career pitching at Texas A&M. And then as you guys will hear in the interview, kind of some of the struggles that he kind of had to overcome, uh, both on the injury front, going through all up and down the minor leagues, and then ultimately making his major league debut. And now two or three years later, here he is uh, with a very uh, important position in that Atlanta Braves bullpen. So guys, um, here we go. A.J. Minner. Okay, well, we now welcome on a very special guest to the program. He's a native of Tyler, Texas, played baseball at Texas A&M, an avid duck hunter during the offseason, and now pitching for the Atlanta Braves. A.J. Minner, what's up, buddy? How are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me, buddy. Absolutely, man. Well, I know you guys have got a big series starting tonight with the Yankees, so just kind of want to pick your brain here a little bit and talk to us a little bit about the start of the season. Obviously, kind of a slow start for you guys, but we're only 16 mm-hmm. games in, and guys just took two or three from the Cubs in Chicago this past weekend. So how's the team doing, and how's the arm feeling? Yeah, it has been a slow start for us, unfortunately. But then again, it's only been uh, 16 games into the season. Um you know, just like the Yankees who we're about to play uh, today and tomorrow, they're off to a slow start. So we're not looking too much into it. It's a long season. It's not like last year where it's a, kind of a race to the finish with 60 games. This year it's a full 162 games, so we're not stressing out about it. I haven't been to a Braves game yet. Obviously, I've got a good reason to go to one now, but I have been to the city of Atlanta a handful of times over the past couple of years. And you can tell instantly, I think, from going into restaurants, walking around the city, talking to people, that the city of Atlanta is very passionate about Braves baseball, especially right now. So when you combine the fan base with the new ballpark that you guys are mm-hmm. that you guys are in right now, what's it like being a player on this team and in that city? Man, I tell you what, especially with the new stadium, I mean, and with our fan base, we are built for, you know, postseason baseball. Uh, we're built for a World Series team, just the atmosphere. Like you said, our fans are, you know, they're very passionate and they'll let you know, especially if you do bad and when you do good. And that comes with it. You know, I've been on both sides of it where, um, you know, I've been booed and I've been cheered for. And that's that's the game of baseball. That's especially fans, too, especially, I guess I look at it as I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. You know, I, I'm sitting there yelling at the players on the screen when they do bad and I'm cheering for them when they do good. So it comes with it. And, you know, you have to respect it. I mean, they expect you to win. So it's your job to go out there and perform. I think one of the things that's impressed me the most about the start of your career, man, is that even though you dealt with some injuries, we all know about the Tommy John surgery at the end of your career at A&M and, you know, past couple seasons, seems like you've been kind of dealing with some minor things here or there, but you've always figured out a way to work through them and come back stronger. So with that being said, how great was it the past few months being able to be healthy, have an off season where you can train without any limitations and go into a spring training at, at a full hundred percent. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's, it, you just kind of trial and error. I mean, you figure out, you know, how your body works, how your body responds to different things. And like you said, I've, I've had my fair share of injuries and it's now my job to acknowledge that and keep and have to like maintain and stay on top of um, keeping my body healthy. So, and that's kind of the biggest 
if you ask anyone, no matter how good you are, you aren't good if you can't be on the field, if you, you know, aren't healthy. So half of the job in the major leagues is just staying healthy. Behind the scenes, that, that's kind of like one of the big things for me and a couple of the other guys that are on the podcast with me. We love going, you know, diving in behind the scenes. What We all see the finished product when it comes time for you guys to take the field and, and play the game. But leading it up, leading up from start to finish, take me through your game day experience from the time you wake up. It's a, it's a home game, 7.05 first pitch. What does your day look like from the time you wake up to the time you leave the ballpark after the game? Yeah, it's a little bit different with baseball because, you know, we play every single day. So it's not like football where you wake up and it's game day, jitter, you know, excitement. You feel it. Every day it's just kind of you have your routine. It's just a kind of a normal day. And, you know, I like to wake up and go get coffee just like anyone else in the morning times or like my time to relax and be by myself and just gather my thoughts and just, yeah, just relax. And then I usually head to the field around, you know, 32 o'clock. And I usually, you know, have lunch right there at the stadium, get a bite to eat. Pitchers will go outside and stretch and throw around 3 o'clock. Pitchers will take BP right after that. And then we'll come inside for about an hour, hour and a half and eat and relax right before the game time and go out for the game and get ready to work. That's when official work day starts, I guess. And mm-hmm. And then we finally get done with the game, you know, finally get home, I guess, around 11 o'clock midnight, and you wake up and do it all over again. I hadn't really hadn't really thought about that. The pitcher's taking batting practice. Still got a pretty good swing. Uh, so as a relief pitcher, unfortunately, I don't get to take batting practice. To do it. But the, the starting pitchers, um, you know, they enjoy it. It's their time yeah. to shine. So we're out there, you know, shagging balls for them. Well, we grew up playing together, and, and everybody knows that baseball is the ultimate team sport. And the goal of this, you guys, mm-hmm. I think you guys set out for yourself every year is putting yourself in a position where win the, win the National League, that way it gives you guys ultimately a chance to win a ring, win the World Series. But when it comes to individual players, you know, some guys want to hit 30 home runs, drive in 100 RBIs, pitchers want to win 15 to 20 games. So for a pitcher like yourself coming out of the bullpen, what goals did you lay out for yourself going into this year? Yeah, it's – I feel like you can't get caught up in, I guess, numbers because you're going to have stints where, you know, just like any position player, you're going to have stints where you have a few bad games and you're going to have a stint where you go on a roll and have, you know, really good games. And it's all a matter of being consistent. As long as you put yourself in a situation to succeed, then you're going to have more good games than bad games. So, for me, it's all about – throwing first pitch strike, you know, getting ahead in the counts. It's about not walking guys. As long as you control the little things that you you can control, then you can't, you can't worry about anything else. You can't, as soon as I release the pitch, I can't control if the hitter is going to hit a home run or, you know, strike out, you know, missing the ball. So it's a matter of, like I said, throwing strikes and not walking guys and just making your pitches. That's the only thing that I can really worry about and can control. At the early part of your career, I think your bread and butter was always that fastball slider combination. Mm-hmm. So, what's uh, how difficult was the process of adding a third or fourth pitch into your arsenal? Whether it is a changeup, whether it's a cutter, how how difficult was was that being able to add that to your repertoire? But also, it's got to make it even more deadly for hitters whenever they've got to face you, a guy that can throw multiple pitches for strikes and multiple pitches that can you know get them out. Mm-hmm. I mean. 
like you said, when we grew up together, played baseball together, and at an early age, I could rely on my fastball because I could throw hard at a young age. And so that's what I relied on. And that's what got me through, you know, high school. And then once I got to college, you know, more better competition. So that's when I really relied on my cutter slider a lot more. More fast-hafted into professional ball. I shot up to the system pretty quick with just my fastball cutter slider and then had success right when I got to the major leagues. And then as soon as that, you know, first year in the major leagues, they have a scouting report on you. They, they know what you're going to throw and they know it's coming. And I struggle in 2019, um, you know, end up getting sent down to AAA. Um, and that's where I learned the changeup. That's where I, it was an opportunity for me to throw the changeup and really um, perfect it. And then, it showed last year in 2020, you know, I had a third pitch. Now I had something that could keep hitters honest and not sit dead red on hard and in. And then I, I became, you know, I became a pitcher instead of a thrower. Yeah. And I'm excited just to keep that process moving forward with my changeup. It's, you know, I really love throwing it. And I think it's really going to help me moving forward in my career. Absolutely. And we, we talked a little bit about it before before jumping on here was how COVID has made, has had an impact on on the major leagues, on baseball season. You've now been a part of both sides of it with it's a, it's a mm-hmm. full packed house and now it's completely empty. So in your experience, is it easier to pitch with or without fans? I'm sure there's some give and take on both sides of it. But now that you've been able to experience it, what's uh, h- how was that process for you? It was, it was an adjustment at first. It really was because I'm a guy, you know, I feed off adrenaline. You know, I like to come in uh, with a loud crowd, you know, bases loaded. I, I want the ball. I, that, that's what makes me, you know, it makes me throw harder. It makes me pitch better. It makes me be more just aggressive. And it was adjustment, especially last year, um, dealing with no fans because you kind of have to find that adrenaline rush deep down inside of you you have to it it was difficult at first and then we came used to it and then now with especially starting the season you know 30 percent capacity it feels like I'm debuting all over again it feels (laughs) crazy with the fans that adrenaline rush is back so it's definitely exciting to play in front of fans again that's that's what makes baseball I mean without fans you know, what's the point of playing? Um, that's that what makes it exciting. Um, some some people, you know, gives them something to root for, and it's just uh, that's 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 baseball. Yeah, and we all saw the video a couple weeks ago, 40,000 fans at the at the Rangers ballpark. So mm-hmm. being able to see that, it kind of got people excited again that we are getting closer to returning to at least a little bit of normalcy. Well, two two last quick ones before we do, and we'll let you get out of here. Growing up. Every kid dreams of playing at Fenway, Yankee Stadium, Wrigley. Mm-hmm. You're about to play, you know, two of those three here uh, last weekend and tonight. So for a guy that's been in the majors for a few years now, was there a moment early on in your career where you've either taken the mound or you've walked into a ballpark and almost had like a holy shit, it's crazy that I'm here right now moment? Yeah, for sure. Um, the first one comes to mind is definitely Fenway. Um, I got to – it's kind of tradition there right inside the green monster there's a door that goes you know behind into the scoreboard area and it's tradition for uh players to sign their signature on the wall and it's a very 
it's like you said, it's one of those moments like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. I, you know, I'm pitching in the big leagues, pitching at Fenway with all these great legends that have, you know, played here. And it gives you goosebumps. And then another one is is obviously uh, Wrigley Field, where we just came from. That's also an exciting place to play. The fan base there is unbelievable. And, you know, honestly, you know, every major league ballpark is something different. Um, it's a great opportunity. Like you said, I'm living a childhood dream. And, you know, some days I do take for granted for it. And there's days where you get humbled and it brings you back to uh, brings you back to life. And it's um, it's crazy that I'm getting to do this and hopefully I can ride it out for many more years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, especially pre-COVID, like you said, some of the fan bases, some of the crowds at some of these, you know, opposing team stadiums that you go to. Is there one team or fan base that kind of sticks out? Whenever you go into that park, you know that, especially being a bullpen guy, you're going to have some guys yeah. yell, yelling at you and, you know, giving mm-hmm. you guys shit and all that stuff. So definitely when we go to Philly, uh, those fans, they're ruthless. Um, and especially with our bullpens, the way it's set up, um, we are right on top of the Phillies bullpen. So we're super close to the fans. You know, they're right on top of us just yelling at us. Um, and I, I actually kind of enjoy that aspect of it. I like going on the road where people, the fans are just heckling you. That just kind of gives you an extra spark and a, um, extra adrenaline. So it, it comes with its uh, pros and cons for sure. I think I, I think if I'm remembering the video correctly, I think you guys were in Philly a week or two ago, and there was that video that was circulating all over Instagram, the, the drunk fan yeah. that was screaming at you guys over the fence. That was yeah. highly entertaining. But l- last one for me, AJ, being in the in the major leagues, it's got to be pretty damn cool. I mean, but, but it's mm-hmm. got to be tough at times because it is a job. It's a results-driven business. So for you, man, is it still fun doing this kind of stuff or does it, that stuff, or does the fun of it kind of get pushed to the side a little more when you're at this level? I would say it's all about perspective. Um, there's days where, you know, there's bad days and good days, just like any other job. Um, and it is a job, unfortunately, but at the same time, if you know, if you ask me, well, my bad day at work is, you know, I gave up a two-run home run, and he asked a, a person that works a, you know, eight-to-five job, their bad day is, oh, I just, you know, whatever it may be, it's all about perspective, and I right. have to realize that, and my bad day at work is nothing compared to, you know, someone else, a bad day at work, Yeah. and, but then again, it, it's, it's stressful. You know, I feel like what we get paid, what we get paid is because of just the stress, the hours we have to put in, um, all, all the stuff that's off the field rather than on the field. And it, it really is. It's a grind. And we play 162 games a year. And it's it's my I'm trying to do a better job of um, enjoying the process whenever I do fail instead of always worrying about results and performance and just enjoying it while I'm here. I mean, I'm literally getting to play a game for a living. Yeah. And it, it's hard to remember that, but at the same time, you know, I, I do want to be the best. I want to go out there and be dominant and I am going to get mad and upset when I do bad. Cause I, I do, I hate losing more than I enjoy winning <laughs> 
and I'm trying <laughs> and I'm trying to just enjoy all of it, the bad and the good, and really just soak up as much as I can. Last one, dude. If going back to the early stages of your career when you first got called up, major major MLB debut, whether it was a guy that was on the team, another guy in the major, somebody back home, was there somebody, whether it was like a mentor, was there somebody that kind of took you under their wing, showed you the rope, showed you how to do this, what to expect, and ultimately somebody that's, you know, led to you getting to the point where you're at right now? Yeah, for sure. And you know exactly who it is, and it's Travis Check, who was our, you know, one of our coaches in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my pitching coach growing up right there at school and um long story short he pitched in the major leagues and for a small stint ended up coming back to our hometown finishing his degree at tyler junior college coaching us and he got his degree in finance and long story short he ended up being my financial advisor whenever i got drafted um out of A&M and he's always been there, whether it's baseball, financial, you know, what to expect, you know, in the minor leagues and the major leagues, he he's been that guy for me. And he's a guy that taught me my cutter slider and he's, he's been everything and more than what I could have, you know, ever have. And right now I also have another guy like Josh Tomlin, who is from Tyler, Texas. And he's the one that's 10 years in the big leagues knows way more and experience way more than I could ever, you know, dream about pitching in the world series and a guy that's really put me under his wing and taught me, you know, how, when I dealt with a failure in 2019, he's one of the first guys that me and him got to work in the off season. He really, especially with my change up and just learning how to pitch the hitters and set up hitters. And he's been that guy for me and he's still my teammate. So I'm, truly blessed to have someone like Josh and Travis Chick. Absolutely. Well, AJ, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, like I said, we've got a ton of Braves fans in Oklahoma that are going to enjoy the hell out of this. And can't wait to see what you're going to do this year. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck the rest of the way. And I'll see you soon, man. We'll sneak around to golf in somewhere. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks for having me, buddy. You're welcome. Thanks, dude. All right, that was A.J. Minner. And, again, want to thank A.J. for taking the time um, to sit down with me for, for about 20, 25 minutes or so. Obviously, uh, that was during uh, y- yesterday or two days ago. The Braves were out there in New York taking on the Yankees. So, appreciate A.J. for taking the time up there in the hotel room to chat with us for a little bit. And, guys, just kind of any any takeaways from, from what A.J. had to share with us? I think it was interesting just to hear the difference in the – just game day routine uh, of a baseball player compared to virtually any other sport, but the one that we think about the most, which is football and just how different that is because you're, you're playing a game pretty much every single day. (laughs) So uh, you kind of have some normalcy to it where it's not as big of a deal, I guess, whereas football, there's so much buildup to that moment, but uh, for, for baseball and as a player there, it's just like any other day for them. Yeah, I think for me, it was just uh, a pretty solid reminder while, yeah, they live totally different lives than we do, right? Not only like financially, but playing in front of thousands of fans, you know, every single night, like they're just dudes. There's dudes like we are. Uh, And I think there are probably some exceptions, uh, you know, with some superstars and mentality, stuff like that in pro sports. But like for the most part, there's people, uh, you know, and AJ is just, he's just a dude, a chill dude. And so I think that was just a good reminder. Sometimes you forget seeing these people on TV, uh, you know, 
every night playing their sport of choice, professional athletes, but they just like, they're just complete, completely different individuals than we are. And for the most part, that's really not the case. So uh, yeah, just kind of seemed like a down to earth guy who would love to grab a beer with at any time and just talk about life. That's kind of what I, what I took away from that. Absolutely. And again, that, that was kind of one of the things that I was telling, you know, AJ Adam was, you know, whether it was talking to Eddie, talking to Jessica Cootie earlier, we all like to go behind the scenes, kind of figure out what they do outside of what we see whenever that finished product, you know, c- comes to life. So b- him being able to kind of share a little bit of stuff behind the curtain, what his game day, you know, routine is like. And then ultimately, one of the things that I kind of took away from it was, you know, the progression that it took from him getting to where he was, obviously, you know, having Tommy John surgery to kind of finish up his career at Texas A&M at the end of his junior season. He was projected to be a high first round draft pick. And then you tear your tear your, uh, you know, your your arm up right there on the elbow, have to have Tommy John surgery and uh, coming back, having to go through rehab and then. The, the biggest thing for me, I mean, we, we always hear about, you know, the stories about how, you know, it's a dream come true, having to play in the minor leagues, work your way up to get to that pro ball setting. But just hearing some of the stories, you know, especially off, off camera, you know, him talking about how it was a struggle. You know, you're riding buses in the minor leagues. You know, you're not you're not flying on the jets. You're not staying in the on the high price hotels. So him talking about his story, how he overcame those injuries, how he had to work to add two, three more pitches to his arsenal. And uh, ultimately has led him to be successful and be one of the best or one of the better, uh, more dominant left-handed relievers in the game of baseball. And well, that's that goes to show last year, you know, he led the league uh, in ERA as far as pitchers go at 0.83. So, again, appreciate AJ for taking the time. That was fantastic. And we'll hopefully we'll catch up with him as the season plays on and maybe follow up with him as we get closer to postseason baseball. So, guys, it's spring game week coming up this Saturday, 4 o'clock, Owen Field. And I mean, it's football's here. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I don't really know how much stock everybody kind of wants to put into a spring game. There's going to be there's going to be overreactions. There's going to be some takeaways. So, Adam, starting with you, Lincoln Riley's team that's going to take the field on Saturday. What's what's some what's one or two things that you're going to be watching for? That's tough to answer just because I feel like there's going to be a ton of guys that aren't going to play a lot or might sit out completely. Um, so it, it's tough to say this is for sure. And I'm going to take a lot of stock out of what I see there, but I, I do think that pretty much at every single level, at every single position, there's something interesting to watch for, even on the defensive line where that's probably the strength of the, of the entire team, the strongest position there, which that's a crazy, you know, thought to, to think there, but, uh, along the defensive line specifically, you know, what does Jalen Redmond look like? How much playing time is he going to get? Where is he going to be lined up? Um, you know, what type of, of shape is he going to be in? Uh, and then on the secondary, um, not a people, ton of people talking about Jeremiah Cradell. I think people are looking at other positions as of right now, but uh, he has been uh, mentioned, you know, throughout the spring as a guy that's really coming along and maybe taking a hold of that position. So I'm curious to see how he looks. Yeah, I, guys, I think for me, um, first and foremost mm-hmm. is to remind myself this means nothing. Um, you know, don't put too much stock into any of this. The running back that is, you know, a walk-on that rushes for 100 yards is not going to be playing <laughs> when football season comes around. Uh, so let's just get that on the record. Uh, for me, guys, I think it's I think it's O-line. Uh, we've heard there's a lot of um, talent there. 
but maybe the chemistry hasn't quite clicked yet as a group, uh, which we all know it has been lacking last year, maybe even the past two years. Um, you know, the O-line just hasn't quite been what we've grown accustomed to under Coach Biedenboe. So I'm curious to see how they look, especially when we consider we all think, and I think, you know, most OU fans who, who know about the defensive line realize it's probably one of the, the best defensive lines in the country. Don't think we're going to see a lot of those starters in there for long, but when we do see them, how is that line going to hold up? Um, a couple of the receivers I'm interested, you know, especially with Trajan gone, how does Mario Williams look? We've heard a lot of smoke about him and he, how he's been doing great things in the offseason so far. And also Jaden Hazelwood. Um, you know, you've heard rumors that maybe he just isn't quite trusting his body as much as, as he probably should after a couple injuries. Um, so I'm curious to how he looks on the field. I'm curious to where Justin Harrington plays uh, and how he looks potentially in that nickelback role. Um, how's he line up? How does that look? And guys, maybe more than anything, I just, no injuries, like get out of this thing, stay healthy, move on. Uh, you know, this at the end of the day, absolutely doesn't mean anything. I would imagine we don't see a whole lot of uh, action from any of the starters, you know, for any significant amount of time. Uh, and, and maybe Kennedy Brooks, a guy who hasn't played in a year. How does he look in the backfield? Does he get more reps Saturday than maybe, you know, a potential starting running back typically would. Uh, so yeah, those are the things I think I'm looking at. Um, probably most closely heading Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Adam. The biggest thing that, you know, taken away from what you said is, is Jalen Redman, obviously a guy that's been away from the game of football. He chose to opt out last year, was dealing with some injuries, kind of seeing how he moves around, how he's utilized, whether he's, you know, if he stretches and plays outside or if they kind of bring him and rotate him in um, at the defensive tackle position. But me, where my eye is going to be spending most of its time watching these, watching this game, it's going to be the secondary for me. Obviously you're not going to have, Chances are you're not going to have Woody Washington. You're not going to have DJ Graham playing uh, at both those corner positions. They're, they've missed quite a bit of time this spring. Don't expect those guys to be out there. And I think that that just kind of opens things up to see what a guy like true freshman Latrell McCutcheon can do. Obviously, we've heard a lot of really good things. Coach Grinch, Roy Manning has been raving about him, what he's been able to do coming in at such a young age. Sounds like he's going to be, you know, not just in the rotation, but he could be even competing for a starting spot. So seeing how he moves out there on the perimeter against a guy, you know, maybe like Marvin Mims or Jaden Hazelwood out there, seeing what, what he's able to do, especially – from a physicality standpoint, being, you know, a true freshman, a guy that's only been on campus for two, three, four months. So seeing what he's able to do. And then as we kind of move towards other positions in the secondary, you know, you guys mentioned Justin Harrington, what's he going to do coming off an ACL injury. So you're really not going to learn too much about the team just because, you know, you're not going to have, everybody's not going to be playing. You're not going to be at full strength, but I just want to see how some of these guys move around. What's the speed? What's the quickness? You know, what angles are they taking? So guys like Justin Harrington, Key Lawrence is another one from that Tennessee trio. Excited to see what he plays. And honestly, guys, for me, I think that a position that's really not getting too much, you know, talk um, has been that nickelback position. Obviously with Buki leaving, you've got guys like Jeremiah Cradell who's expected to move into that starting role. Has he taken the next step? And then you look at a guy like Billy Bowman, you know, the number one athlete in the state of Texas last year. He's been, you know, pushing. He's been making some really good plays. We've heard a lot of good things about him over the course of the last three to four weeks of spring ball. So what's he going to be able to do? And then guys really rounding it out for me. I mean, it's it's the Williams duo. It's Caleb Williams throwing to Mario Williams on the offensive side of the football. I don't think Spencer Rattler, I hope he doesn't play too much. We kind of know what he's going to do. Let's keep him upright, keep him healthy. But seeing how Caleb Williams, watching him spin it, this is, this is really going to be the first opportunity that OU fans will have to have a chance to watch him 
live in person. So watching him throw the football, a guy like Mario Williams, Corbin, you hit the nail on the head, Kale Gunny. I mean, if expectations are pretty, pretty high for that kid after what we've heard some of the coaches talk the last couple weeks. So seeing those two guys out on the field is going to be fun. And Caleb Kelly, I want to see what that guy looks like. Obviously coming off two ACL tears over the past couple of years, a guy that you know many people are are cheering for, hoping he has a standout year, but might be kind of falling a little bit down in the depth chart, especially in that middle linebacker uh, position. So seeing how he moves around, how involved he is, um, it is definitely going to be something that I have a have a that I will be keeping my eye on for sure. So to sum it up, we're keeping an eye on every position group. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone mentioned Austin Stogner, and I don't know how much run he'll get on Saturday. But no uh, but no. it it would be interesting to see see him if uh, you know if the coaches were willing to put him out there, just see what he could do. But um, but yeah. I mean, pretty much every position, like we ran through the entire gauntlet there, has something of interest. And I think it's not necessarily areas of concern, except for maybe offensive line, which I think that's the one position group where I would take zero stock out of a bad performance because it is way too early to know who's going to be your guys. Those That's the one group that needs to gel a lot. Um, so I'm not really going to take any stock in that. But pretty much everywhere else, we're looking around going, okay, Who's going to take control of that? There's like three, two or three guys that we feel really confident in. Who's going to be the leader there? Or who's going to push someone else? There's not really a, a position where we're going, man, I hope someone like, can do something here, which is a big difference than, than what we've had the past couple of years. I think we all had a chance to listen to Gabe and Teddy talk about it earlier this week when they were kind of previewing the offensive line. And I mean, for lack of a better word, I mean, press the panic button is kind of the kind of the tone and the impression that I got from Gabe in his breakdown. And obviously it's, it's April 22nd. We're five months away from the start of the season. And if there's any coach that I trust on this team, you know, just as much as Lincoln Riley or Alex Grinch, it is Bill Beanbow. He's going to have those guys ready to go. And guys, we all know that overreaction Monday or, maybe even on the message boards on late Saturday night, it's going to be, you know, the offensive line can't, can't, you know, get any push. We couldn't run the football. What's going to happen. You know, all these expectations going into next year and we're going to have a subpar offensive line. So that's definitely going to be something that, like you said, you can't take, you can't put too much stock into it. Guys, is the Justin Harrington experiment at nickel still going on or have we officially moved past that and put him or back corner in corner corner? I mean, that's where he started in the spring. Um, I have not heard any updates of him playing at other positions. I think he's, uh, from everything that, again, that, that we've heard and, you know, hearing different tidbits here and there, it sounds like he is still playing cornerback, but that could just be a scenario where that's the position that he wanted to try out and start playing, and they're using this spring as a chance for him to, you know, maybe show himself that his, you know, his future lies at that safety or that nickel position. We, you know, we kind of talked about it when doing our spring preview. I mean, the the possibility of him playing that safety position or him being like a prototypical nickelback that can, you know, ma- play up there at the line of scrimmage, cover out in space, be able to run with a tight end just as well as a slot receiver. So um, I'll definitely be, you know, interested to see where he plays, how he looks out there on an island. And, you know, if we're not going to run the football, we've heard so much talk about how good the secondary has been playing. Let it. Let Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams air it out. Let's see these guys, you know, hold up in coverage and try to make plays on the football. Yep. I think that is going to lead to some overreactions because I think Caleb Williams is a little bit more mobile guy, 
which typically you think in practice, the mobile quarterback is not going to look as good because it's, you know, you just touch the quarterback. You don't actually tackle them, but being in the pocket and being a little bit more mobile, uh, I think is, is going to make Caleb Williams probably look a little bit better than Spencer Radler, honestly, just because he'll be able to escape some of the, the rush a little bit better uh, because we know the offensive line is not going to be a finished product at this point and not even close to a finished product. So they're probably going to look a little rough on Saturday and that's going to cause people to go, wow, Caleb Williams looked really good. He didn't get sacked nearly as much or, you know, he was able to get out and run a little bit, uh, whatever it might be. And so uh, for some reason, there's still some fans out there that aren't completely sold on Spencer Radler. I know he was a little you know, rough to start the year last year, but he's the guy and he's the guy that we need to have if we want a, a true championship run this year. Yeah. You guys got to bet money that Caleb Williams is going to look better than Spencer Rattler on Saturday. He's going to, you ever, I think everybody knows he's going to. And I, from other podcasts and other reports, the talent seems fairly equal, which is crazy to say that in Spencer Rattler's third year, the coaching staff may not feel, um, overly concerned if god forbid like spencer had an injury that kept him out of game or misses a series like i don't think that's necessarily a knock on spencer rattler as much as it is a praise on what they think caleb williams could do um so i wouldn't be shocked at all come saturday night sunday monday into the off season that the the chirp 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 caleb williams maybe he's the better guy uh that's out there quite a bit well, we can even remember going all the way back to 2015, the spring game prior to that year, how, you know, it was going into it, it was the Trevor Knight show. What's it going to look like? And then coming out of the game, all the talk was about Baker, you know, going 11 for 11 and him putting on a really good performance. So the overreaction is going to be there. That's kind of one of the fun things for us to be able to talk about is, you know, wh- where's that going to come from? What position? And guys, a, a question that I have for you when looking at the spring game, obviously you don't want to get any players injured. I think that this is more so a glorified scrimmage to basically get the fan base excited about the upcoming season. But in your opinion, is the are this are spring games necessary anymore, or is it more? I, I don't know. Are, do the do the risk you know outweigh the rewards you know more heavily? Like when you factor in you know chances of injury, or you know you're not even going to really be playing you know a, a full full roster you're not going to be having you know everybody out there it's at the same time so what are you guys thoughts are you pro spring game or do you think they should make some changes i'm pro spring game and let's be honest every team out there is having scrimmages in spring practice so really it's just deciding which scrimmage do you want to open up to the public and you got to be okay with that to show the public a little bit of something because that is a great marketing opportunity for your program in the off season to get people excited to buy tickets, to donate, to spend money at a spring game, uh, whatever it might be. And so it is really interesting to see the variance because at OU, a spring game is a big deal. We want to make money off of it with tickets. We want to make it a big event uh, to keep people engaged, to renew their seats, uh, to get recruits in there, to, to have a big visit weekend. Whereas up the road in Manhattan at K-State, they basically tried to cancel the entire spring game and the fans were so upset that they actually had basically took a open practice and opened it up to the public. That was kind of a half effort on that. Uh, so there's a, there's a pretty big difference between programs. Yeah. I'm kind of indifferent about the spring game. I'm with Adam. This is, this could just be another closed door scrimmage. Um, 
you know, I think it's good to get some of the younger guys in front of fans, you know, in the spring uh, and kind of get that experience under their belts. Uh, I also think in this year in particular, on the recruiting front, it's important um, knowing that, you know, official visits aren't going to open up until June. I think that actually is, is, a, is a pretty big deal. And obviously, if you go and look on some of the the OU insider sites and things like that, you'll see, you know, a list of guys who are coming. I, th- I think that's a bigger deal this year than it is, you know, in years past and hopefully in years future. Um, but all in all, guys, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent about it. Um, it's a fun day out at the stadium and that's really about it. You know, you're going to see the starters for a couple series, if that, and then it's like, oh, this is what the rest of the roster looks like. <laughs> yep, then uh, Joe C. Jr. carrying the rock for the for the fourth quarter. So, yep. uh, but, but yeah, well, I, I, again, four o'clock on Saturday, OU spring game, red-white game. And guys, that leads us to our final topic of the night. It's another Mount Rushmore. It's an OU edition this week. Uh, the, the topic tonight is the Mount Rushmore of the top individual OU football player performances dating all the way back to 2010. So 2010, all the way to the end of this past season, the order has been predetermined. Adam's going to be starting it out tonight, followed by Corbin going second, Tyler going third. So Adam, kick us off, man. What's the uh, what's your top performance over the last 10 years? This is kind of tough. Uh, I wish I did not have the first pick. I'd rather you guys sort that out for me. Because it's so hard to compare a lot of these different performances, so many variables, so many different ways to look at it. I've narrowed it down to three, but I think I'm going to have to go with the record breaker, Samaj P. Ryan versus Kansas in 2014. 34 carries, 427 yards, an NCAA record, five touchdowns, 12.6 yards per carry. I don't care that it was against Kansas. I don't care that the weather was bad. I mean, that defense knew that we were not passing the ball. It was going to be a run to P. Ryan every single time, and he still averaged 12 and a half yards per carry. Um, that's pretty incredible. Uh, he was just absolutely unstoppable, and Kansas had no interest in in making any type of attempt to tackle him that day. Yeah, I'm actually um, – I, I was kind of dreading the second pick more about this one than the first one because I thought that one was – I mean, that was a pretty easy, like, number one spot. Um, this is really tough. I have three as well that I could go with, uh, and two of them are actually from the same game. I'm gonna go with Trevor Knight, Damn it. 2013 Alabama, 32 of 44, 348 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Uh, and and honestly, he even looked better than that than what the stats showed. Uh, I mean, I can speak for every OU fan in the history of OU fans. After that game, it was like, here comes the natty. Trevor is going to be the Heisman next year. We're set on all these positions. Defense looked pretty good against a, you know, a good Alabama offense. Here we go. Guys, if, if, <laughs> if only we knew at that time what we knew now. But it doesn't take away from that game. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Trevor balled out. I, yeah. I think I mean everyone was like he he was Johnny Manziel on, on the scout team like he's the dude look at him he's finally healthy man that was such a head scratcher after that but like he'll be remembered for that yeah. in senior history absolutely absolutely well Samaje was my number one pick Trevor and I was my number two pick so number three for me couple different ways I could go with this. I don't know really if any of these are going to be on you guys's list but these are because these are pretty recent. Number three for me, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the football for this one since I get to double up. And the reason why I'm doing it, I'm going all the way back to Army 2018. Kenneth Murray, 
not only broke the school record with 28 tackles, but he also broke the FBS record for most tackles in a game. So, again, I know it's Army. I know it's during a year where the defense was kind of trash by comparison to what it is now. But anytime you break a national record, I got to give credit where credit's due. So Kenneth Murray's 28 tackle performance against Army. Uh, give me uh, give me K-9. That's a good one for me. That'll always be a game that you wonder if it was a good thing that he had the stats that he had in that game. And I, and you can make a strong argument that it, it, it wasn't a good thing that he had the stats that he had in that game. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know if his stats contributed to our win because we could not stop Army in that game. It's great that he, he got a good number there, and I had it on my list. but Well, and when you think about it, I mean, Curtis Bolton, I mean, he had 23 tackles in that game too. So, I mean, when, when they're running at 99% of the time, I guess you can kind of take away from it, but hey, you got to put the work in, you got to make the tackles. So I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. So uh, that's a, that's a record holder for, for K nine number two pick for me. I got to make this a good one. Cause I'm not going to get back to for another four picks. This one for me, I'm going to, I'm going to OU Texas for this one, 2018. I'm going CD Sedarian lamb, 10 catches, 171 yards, three touchdowns against the Longhorns ultimately won that game by himself when you have Jalen Hurts throwing throwing the football to you. We all know about the uh, the crazy play, him juking out five Texas defenders when he was completely surrounded and going on to score. So uh, that's one of the best overall receiving games that I've ever seen by an OU football player. And so I'm, I'm putting that as my number two pick in this Mount Rushmore. Well, I mean, all three, all three picks that I had last round are still in play here. Um, I'm going to go... Uh, let's go Marquise Brown, 2017 at Oklahoma State. Really the red carpet game for Hollywood coming to life. Uh, nine catches, 265 yards, uh, almost almost 30 yards a catch, which is mind-boggling, uh, with two touchdowns. Uh, literally, guys, I mean, Gus Johnson said it, but like we were all thinking it like, who is this kid? Uh, you know, there was rumors about him, how fast he was. And like, that was his come to Jesus. He's on the scene. He's a stud uh, game. And I know Baker was great that night too. And I've got him on the list as well. But like, that was one of the more impressive uh, receiving games I've seen in my life. That's a good one. I'm surprised we haven't gone to this game yet. Uh, OU versus Texas Tech in 2016. I'm going to take Joe Mixon, 31 carries, 263 yards, two touchdowns, and then adding to that four receptions, 114 yards, and three touchdowns, one of those being the one-handed catch down the sideline, which was uh, pretty impressive. Um, He was another game where a running back was completely unstoppable. I don't care that it was Texas Tech and their defense was giving up everything. Um, Joe just absolutely uh, took everything and more that the defense was giving him. Uh, that one's a pretty easy one for me. Uh, for my third pick, there's a couple of areas I could go here. Um, I have not picked a, a quarterback performance yet. So I think I mm, th- there's so many good quarterback performances, but I feel like I don't weigh them nearly as heavily as as other uh, individual guys where you know they're not having the ball in their hands at every snap so with that in mind i think i'm going to go to the cotton bowl in 2016 which i think is an even better 
wide receiver performance than the one that you picked, Tyler. Uh, that'd be Dee Westbrook in uh, with 10 receptions, 232 yards, and three touchdowns um, against a, a fairly solid Texas secondary at that point. So uh, give me Dee Dee in the Cotton Bowl in 16. I had that on my list as well. Yeah, that was my my top kind of tier two pick. That uh, was a really good one. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit further. I'm going to go back to 2012. Uh, Landry Jones at West Virginia. And I know we all have mixed emotions about Landry Jones, but that night, 554 yards, six touchdowns, hmm. including the game-winning pass with, I think, about 25 seconds ago to Kenny Stills to, to win it. Uh a hard to beat those numbers in a place like that tough place to play. And uh, yeah, that was, he was for as bad of mistakes as he's made throughout his, his OU career. That was a night where you really saw, I think the, the best Delaney and what he could do. And he made the audible to that route too. That's so like, very true. it wasn't just the throw. Yeah. I think that was probably one of the best, maybe even the best game of his career uh, in an Oklahoma senior uniform. So that was, was on fourth down. Yep. Yeah, pretty sure, right? Fourth and yeah, goal. Yeah, it was, it was incredibly clutch. Yeah, yeah. and I, I can't remember if he called it or did he look out there and like Kenny Stills? Did he like wave his hand or something? I'll have to go back and look at it. But yeah, there was an audible that was definitely made prior to that ball being snapped. So I've got two picks. Thank God I came prepared and it worked out for this. So I've got two picks left going back to back here. It's the same player but in two different games. So first pick for me. I'm going Baker Mayfield. I'm going I'm going six here. All the way back, 2016 against Texas Tech. Um, Baker in his only game, his only return to Lubbock, threw for a modest, by comparison to what Patrick Mahomes did, a modest 545 yards, seven touchdowns, 27 to 36 passing without an interception. And we see it, and we see it every single year. This highlight comes up in one way or another, whether they're talking about college, whether the NFL one of the all-time offensive games in college football. Baker came out victorious on that side of things. So you throw for 545 yards and seven touchdowns, you're you're getting on the Mount Rushmore. And then rounding it out for me, I'm sticking with Baker again. I'm going one year closer, 2017 Bedlam on the road in Stillwater. Yes, Adam, it's the Marquise-Hollywood Brown game. And what turned out to essentially be an elimination game for the Big 12 championship and ultimately the college football playoff, uh, Baker sets a school record, 598 passing yards and five touchdowns. Um, and like I said, the offense ended up with 785 total yards, second highest since 1988. And that was, I think, guys, that was ultimately, I think, the performance that kind of clinched the the Heisman for, for Baker in that one. So Baker, 2017, Bedlam on the road in Stillwater. Um, fantastic game. Oh, this is tough. Um only one. So I like eight, I've got eight picks left, so I've got plenty to choose from here. Um, really, I got to narrow down to two for the sake of diversity. I'll, I'll go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, back to the Sugar Bowl, Eric Stryker um, in that game was an absolute monster. Uh, it's really hard when you pull up the defensive stats; they're never going to be as, as daunting as what we've said about some of the offensive players we've got on this list. But if you watch the game, he was an absolute animal. Uh, seven tackles, three sacks, uh, including the the forced fumble that led to Geno Grissom scoop and score to end the game. Um, I mean, he was in McCarron's face all night, and he gave 
who is a really, really good offensive tackle and Cyrus Quanjo fits all night long. He could not be stopped. Uh, so that's, that's probably going to round out my top four, but uh, I could have win a million different ways with that one. Eric Stryker, you got to say his name. <laughs> Did but, I not say his name? I thought I said it. Eric I Stryker. Think, yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought he said it. I thought he said okay. it. Okay, maybe I missed it, but yeah. We'll run it back. <laughs> we'll, we'll check the tape, but well, yeah, Adam, I mean, Adam edits the tape. <laughs> I mean, that was one situation where like Eric Stryker literally took money away from Alabama's left tackle because he, he probably dropped a few spots in the draft just on that performance alone. Um, I had, I had that one on my list here. Uh, so I've got the final pick and uh, it, it's tough. Um, we have not mentioned Kyler Murray's name yet. Uh, I think there's some ways to go there. Come back uh, to Army. Uh, I, I'm not going to go with I'm not going to go with Kyler Murray. I'm actually going to go with Rodney Anderson, uh, 2017 against TCU. Uh, just a really uh, incredible game. 23 carries for 151 yards, then five receptions for 139 yards, four total touchdowns. I think he did almost all of that in the first half. Yes. Because the game was was out of hand at that point, and he really didn't play much in the second half at all. So um, he was he was pretty incredible, just unstoppable through the air and on the ground in that game. Uh, so that's going to be my my last pick, and I guess I'll I'll kick us off here with some honorable mentions. I mentioned Kyler Murray. I think his best performance was against Baylor in 2018. Uh, 432 yards, six touchdowns, ten carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. Um, just really solid all around. And then one that I strongly considered uh, was Jalen Hurts versus Houston in 2019. 20 of 23, 332 yards, three touchdowns, and 16 carries for 176 yards and three touchdowns. Jalen's a guy that I I knock a lot, but that's an incredible stat line. I think you miss both those guys, their best games. Um, oh. One of my honorable mentions was Kyler. Uh, 2018 at West Virginia. Um, winner went to the Big 12 game. It, the dude just did everything. Um, 20 for 27 passing, 364 yards, nine carries, 114 yards, and then four total touchdowns. Uh, I got a couple of Andrew Jones games still on my list. Uh, 2010 at Oklahoma State, um, where he has those two long throws in the fourth quarter to basically uh, the defense wasn't stopping anybody. Uh, first one to Cameron Kenny for 86 yards. Oklahoma State comes back down and scores again. again. A couple plays later, hits James Hanna for 76 yards. As I, I didn't realize until re-looking it up, there were 40 points scored in that fourth quarter uh, in Stillwater, which is just hard to even fathom. Um, I actually but, put Cameron Kenny on my list for that game. I mean, just out of out of well nowhere, done. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't really consider strongly picking him, but just the way he was not a guy, and then all of a sudden, 141 yards, two touchdowns, and then. I think yep. he did some stuff against UConn in the bowl game, but really didn't do anything after that either. Yep. Uh, I had Jalen as well, but I had the the 2019 at Baylor game. Uh, for as bad as he was in that first half, you, you can't take away that what he did in the second half was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. And now it was a full team effort to come back from 28-3, but like he wasn't going to lose that game. Uh, so that was one. I, I had – I had Ronnie Perkins last year against Oklahoma State as as an honorable mention as well. Uh, Just, again, stats aren't going to show on the defensive side of the ball, but talk about a guy who was just absolutely possessed uh, and seemed like he was in the backfield every single time. So I've got some others in there, but those are kind of the ones that stuck out on the uh, the honorable mention side. 
Yeah, I had a couple more on the honorable mention side. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, 2019 Baylor, coming back 28-3. As much, as, as much crap as we gave him, probably isn't another quarterback that could have brought his team back and done it, done it like that. Adam, stop rolling your eyes, shaking your head. I know you missed him. So, uh, and then uh, other for me, um, I had Samaje Pirine going all the way back to 20, I think it was 2016 Baylor. That was the game in the rain that uh, Baker threw that touchdown pass to Dimitri Flowers at the very end. The, uh, the Chris Fowler call fires to the end zone for the mm-hmm. touchdown. Um, Samaje Pirine, he had over 150 yards, two touchdowns, the big, long back breaking run at the very end to, to kind of seal the deal right there. And then kind of one that, I didn't know what you guys would think about it. Going all the way back, 2015, Tennessee on the road. Baker's second-half performance played terrible the, the first three quarters, but that fourth quarter, the, the finding that connection with Shep, with P. Ryan, uh, willing that team back into that game and ultimately winning in Knoxville, I think was another fantastic individual performance. So, Would you give that to Baker or would you give it to Shep? I, I would have to give a lot of credit to Baker there, but I feel like that's more of like a discussion of most clutch plays or series rather than yeah, an entire right. game. Yeah. Well, Corbin, you bring that up. I mean, when you think about it, the obviously the pat, the fade to Shep on, I guess it was what, third and goal that he caught falling out of bounds. I think um, so, yeah. And then the, the first play right there in that second overtime where he caught it on the out route and went Superman and made two guys miss, yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, do you guys have anything else? Here's one more. Uh, Tony Jefferson versus Ball State in 2011. Three interceptions. It, it's Ball State. Did you, how the hell did you find that? <laughs> that's like, like well, the, <laughs> I think that's like the most interceptions uh, in one game in Sooner history. So Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he picked off three three times. I couldn't tell you who was throwing it for Ball State, but obviously they were terrible. But, I mean, hey – that's a, that's no, a good no, I, I applaud it. I just uh, of all the games, Ball State. I, I, I'm uh, well done for finding something like that. And that, what? That's probably the last time we've had a, a DB pick off three passes in a game. I can't. I think, think of that's the record. Then. I think yeah. it's the record for I one player even, in a game. I can't even tell you the last player that's picked off two in a game. Probably like Zach Sanchez. Honestly, though, yeah, yeah, that's true. That'd be a good pick. I think the only only other two I had was uh, I did have Baker uh, 2017 at Ohio State. Um, Again, more of a second half uh, than necessarily a full game. And then, man, it is pretty crazy to think what Kyler did against Texas for the Big 12 championship Mm. wasn't on any of our lists, and it really wasn't even close. And that's probably one of the better performances I've ever seen in person. Um, Just completely lights out. And that actually was, I think, a really good Texas defense. Um, So... Yeah, those were probably my last two that I had on my list all in all. I think a good last question that's kind of off topic here, but we talk about the performances of Baker and Kyler. If you guys are starting a team tomorrow, is uh, six or one playing quarterback for you? One. I think you can make an argument in either direction. <laughs> Pick one, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> we uh, know. That's why we're arguing. That's, that's, such a, that's such a hard question. I think – Give me Baker just because of the impact he can have on the rest of the team. Uh, I don't think he's as talented or can produce as much as Kyler, but he can impact so many more players. He's not as talented. He's not as good of a quarterback. If I'm picking it for an entire season, I want Baker. If my life's on the line, I have to win one game. Give me, give me Kyler every single time. Just the dynamic of the feet and the athleticism. But, hey, to 
I think that question has to be asked though too. Are we talking pro? Or are we talking college? Because college, I may give the Baker, I may give Baker a lean, but if we're talking pro, I'm probably leaning towards Kyler. I'm I'm going. God, it's it's the same argument for me. Uh, I mean, Baker's my favorite player of all time when it comes to OU, but I think I would still have to choose Kyler for a game. Just like I said, the feet. I mean, that's. That's a that's a twelfth player on the field that you can't account for him being able to take off like that. Um, in terms of in the pros right now, I think that Baker's probably in a better situation right now, as oddly as it is to say that about the Cleveland Browns. But as good as that team is going to be going into next year, especially picking up, you know, who who's the Clowney? They just picked up Clowney going into next year, and I don't know. I mean, Kyler's got his his no shortage of weapons out there in Arizona. It would be a fun argument. They get to play each other this year too, uh, which will be fun to watch. Is that one in Cleveland? I shoot. I don't know. I don't know. Adam, were you about to say something? I'll look that up. I mean, honestly, we could spend an entire episode just on Kyler versus Baker. (laughs) There's a lot we could dive into there. I wonder if he put some truth serum in Lincoln Riley's cup. I wonder what he would choose. Let me ask you this. Is there any scenario where Sam Bradford breaks into those top one or two spots? Not in today's game. Probably the most accurate thrower of the football in the history of college football. Probably the best that I've ever seen. I mean, we'll have to go back and look at the completion percentage, but just hearing some of the ways that his teammates in the NFL talked about him, if he could have stayed healthy, how how you know good he could have been. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know if it's a recency bias thing or the fact that I was in school or worked at OU during that kind of era with Baker and Kyler going back to back. But I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're where, saying there. Adam, where does Jalen Hurts factor in? <laughs> uh, oh, I thought he was first and we were just going for second. Um, hold on, hold on. Jalen Hurts or Trevor Knight? Jalen. Okay. <laughs> at least there's some like comments. I mean, we got us. Adam to we got Adam to say it. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> I don't. It's uh, not like I I hate the guy. I'm just fair, and I'm fair and honest. You he missed him. he missed a wide open CD like three times a game. <laughs> CD's open or CD's not open. Check it down and run it. But uh, hey, starting quarterback of the the Philadelphia Eagles, so. That's another thing that doesn't get enough credit. The fact that Lincoln, his three quarterbacks to start off his time in Oklahoma, all three of them are going to be starting quarterbacks. And hopefully we'll be having a fourth here at the end of 2021. So guys, before we get out of here, what do you got going on this weekend? How are you going to be spending your time starting with you, Adam? What's going on, dude? I'm going to ignore baseball and pay attention to football. Guys, I'm pumped for my weekend. What tomorrow night we got rough and rowdy. Thanks Barstool sports. Uh, Looking forward to watching some non-professional fighters just go at it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the spring game out here, so I may have to watch it on replay. Um, but I don't think I don't think they're showing it on on Sooner Sports TV. Uh, but hopefully, we'll have it up and posted right after that game's over. But we have to be uh, living and dying off of Twitter and you know SoonerScoop.com to see how the game's going. There you, go. you know, there you go. Real, real nail, nail biter, I'm sure. Yeah. We thought about having a live feed or something during the during the game, but uh, I guess you two guys aren't going to be in attendance. So, Corbin, you've got a good excuse. Adam, I don't know, man. We'll talk. So, but, no, uh, this weekend's going to be good. Uh, obviously, rough and rowdy. 
Thank you, Portnoy. Cannot wait for that Big Cat National Anthem. Um, I mean, it doesn't get any more American and patriotic than that right there. We got Frank the Tank um, doing the uh, Ring Girl contest. Cannot wait for cannot wait for to, to see Frank's appearance. And, yeah, got spring game on Saturday. Uh, UFC 261, Masvidal and Usman. Uh, I think I'm going to sh- try to stream that card. That's going to be a really good one. We got full fans finally in attendance and uh, play some golf first thing on Sunday morning. So it's going to be it's going to be a good weekend. And sounds like we'll have a lot of good things to talk about. Uh, some good overreactions to to kind of process uh, and hopefully some good news whenever we get together next weekend or next week. Yeah, for sure. Go OU. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, again, appreciate you guys for listening. You can find all of our stuff on all the various platforms. Go on Apple, give us a five star review, like, and subscribe. And again, appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back here again next week with another episode of the Podcast.